Good morning, good morning. So good to see you here today. If you have a copy of God's Word, go, on up, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 13. If you are guests here with us this morning, thank you for being here. Uh, what you'll find out from us really quick is that we love the Word of God. We believe it guides us and it leads us, and we would rather hear five words from the Word of God than a million words from the wisdom of man. And so that's what we do each week. I'm not smart enough to come up with uh, all my own points and everything. I just open up God's Word and allow uh, Christ to speak to us through His Word. And I would say if you are a visitor, I uh, just encourage you to stick with us for maybe six weeks and see what we're all about. It takes time to hear a mission and a passion and a heartbeat from the church. And so stick with us a few weeks. Uh, see what our community's like, what our church is like, and, uh, and then decide whether you want to dive into partnering with us in the ministry and the mission that God has called us to do. So, Matthew chapter 13, you saw in the video we've been doing this series on parables. Parables where it's this truth, God has given us this truth, but it seems to be hidden within these stories, but yet it's placed right before us in plain sight. So what we're going to see today as we look at this parable is about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. What's it like? And it's interesting because every kingdom, doesn't matter where it is in history or time or even today, every kingdom has some kind of label attached to it or some kind of, um, I guess, image that's, that's there with it. And I mean, it's from all levels. I mean, think about it. I had a friend this last week that went to Disney World and he went to the Magic Kingdom, right? The Magic Kingdom, even that has a reputation where it's the most magical place on earth, right? That we're going to entertain you so much that it's the most magical place on earth. Like that kingdom in our modern day North America, right, has a, uh, a label attached to it, description attached to it. But even as you trace through time and history, that's what you find, that every kingdom has a description, is known for something. Think about it. This time where Jesus is speaking, the Roman Empire is there and it's present. And the Roman Empire was known for its size. It was said that the sun never set on the Roman Empire. Why? Because it was so large that when the sun set at one corner of it, it was rising in the other corner. Like that kingdom was known for its size. The Persian Empire years ago was known for its strength and its might, its power. Its armies were so big, it was rumored that they would literally dry up rivers as they walked from one nation to the other as they stopped and drank. They had so much power and might. And so every kingdom is known for something, right? What is the kingdom of God known for? How is Jesus going to describe God's kingdom? And that's what we're going to see in this passage today. Starting in verse 31, this is what the word of the Lord says. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like. All right, stop right there for just a second. We're going to read and stop a couple times as we read this, but stop right there for a second. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples at that point, the followers of Jesus. Jesus is preaching, Jesus is teaching, and they've seen him do a lot of amazing miracles and a lot of amazing works and a lot of powerful things. And now he comes on the scene and he says, my kingdom is like dot, dot, dot. So how do you think if you were one of the disciples at that time, you would have filled in that blank, right? That is power. We've seen him calm a storm, right? We've seen him heal lame people. We've seen him forgive sins. There's, there's this massive external power that, that Jesus is going to talk about. There's some kind of majestic imagery he's going to use in this parable. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain, a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants 
and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, saying the kingdom of heaven is like. All right, the disciples are here again, and they're thinking, all right, that was just a warm-up, right? Jesus set the bar, like, really low on this first one. It's a small, tiny, insignificant seed. Now he's going to come with this big, powerful imagery that he's going to give us for the kingdom of heaven. And it says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And you got to think the disciples are sitting here thinking, like, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? Like, you can describe your kingdom in any way, and you're describing it as, like, a mustard seed, and you're describing it as leaven? That's like this powder or little piece that you put in there? That's what you're going to describe your kingdom as? What are you doing, Jesus? And he tells us in verse 34, this is what he's doing. He said, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables indeed. He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth with parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What is Jesus doing in these parables that we've been looking at over the last three weeks? He is revealing to us things that have been hidden since the foundation of the world about the kingdom of God. I read that this week, and I'm thinking, let's just go back and do these sermons that we've done the last three weeks on these parables, because these are things that people longed to hear for years and years and didn't hear them. And then Jesus speaks to them, and these people at this time hear it, and they're starting to understand. And Jesus speaks to us today, and we're like, I don't get that. And Jesus wants us to understand that these are truths about him and his kingdom that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is a big deal about what Jesus is saying. And every week through the series, what we've done is we've stopped because the first parable was that God speaks words and it goes out like a farmer that sows seed. And some falls on good soil and some not so good soil. Some roots are withered up. And then some falls on really good soil and God bears forth fruit. And so I say that because every week we've been stopping and praying that God would speak to us and give us understanding to these hidden truths today. So let's do the same thing. Bow and pray with me. Father, we need you. We need you to give us understanding as we look and we think about a tiny seed and as we look and we think about leaven. God, what does this mean um, for your kingdom and what does this mean for us? Father, I pray and ask that you would give us understanding to your word today and then give us the courage to live out the truths that we find in your word. Let me just encourage you, no matter where you are in your walk, um, in your spiritual journey, just to pray and ask that God would speak to you this morning. Let's just take a moment silently and pray, asking God to speak to our hearts. Pray now. And lift me up too. Pray for me that what I would share over the next several minutes um, would impact our lives for eternity. Uh, Pray for me that I would be helpful as I serve you today. Pray now. Father, we pray now and ask that you would make it possible for us to understand these great truths from these tiny 
tiny parables. Give us understanding today. Amen. So as Jesus starts to unfold these different parables in this text, every week we've been reminded what a parable is. It's not something that we use. We probably haven't used it once in our vocabulary this week as we talk about it. Like, what is a parable? And Jesus, what he's doing is he's giving us ordinary stories in order to explain extraordinary truths. I mean, Jesus has already used several practical things that everybody would have understood at that time and seen, but they were just ordinary. I mean, he talks about a farmer in the first parable. He goes out and sows seed. He's like, look at the farmer. And then he talks about a field, a field that has wheat in it and weeds in it. He's like, hey, go and look at that. He talks about a net, a drag net that would catch fish in it. I mean, these are just like everyday things of life. And that's what he does in this parable too. He looks and he talks about a garden seed and a cooking ingredient. These are just common things that Jesus is highlighting, but he's taking these extraordinary truths and he's bringing it down to an ordinary level for us to understand a little bit more of the kingdom of God and who he is. And there's two things I want us to grasp and understand from these two parables today. And these parables overlap, we'll see that a little bit. But there's two truths that I want us to see. And the first is this, that the the kingdom of God has the power of growth. Has the power of growth. And the second thing we're going to see is that the kingdom of God has the power to change. So let's look at each one of these parables and unpack this a little bit. And I guess maybe even before we do that, we have to understand what the kingdom of heaven is or the kingdom of God is because they're used synonymously throughout the Bible. If we're going to talk about it and and define it, how Jesus is defining it here, like what is that? Because so often when we think of a kingdom, we think of a, a physical place, a region, right? Or we think about a period of time, like there's a kingdom that existed in this period of time, or there's a kingdom that exists in this region. And as people ask Jesus about it, he doesn't talk about it in the sense of a region. He doesn't necessarily talk about it in a period of time. He talks about it in a reign, in a reign, in a ruling of a king. And there's a, there's a story in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, where people come to Jesus and they're asking him, tell us about the place of the kingdom of heaven and tell us about the time of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' response is interesting because he says the kingdom of God's not coming in ways that can be observed or, or seen or touched or felt. He said they won't, look, they, won't, they won't look and say, here it is, or there, it's over there, it's not a place. He said, for behold, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. That's what Jesus says in Luke 17. (laughs) Gee, thanks, Jesus. I don't know what you want me to do with that. You're saying it's not a time, it's not a place, and yet it's already here. It's in our midst. What are you doing? What Jesus is highlighting in that moment is he's like, the king is here. The king is in your midst, King Jesus. And the kingdom is a lot like the king. And these people didn't get it. They struggle with it because they're like, wait a second, Jesus. The kingdom can't look like you. It can't look like you. I mean, you're so insignificant. You were born in a manger. I mean, like, it's got to come from, from royalty, right? Not in a manger. Not from this place called Nazareth where, like, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And nobody knows about it. I mean, I've heard people even today that have visited Nazareth, and it let them down. They were like, we came expecting nothing, and it was below nothing, right? They're like, it can't be. It can't be you. It can't, the kingdom can't look like this. You're a carpenter. But see, what Jesus is highlighting in this parable is the same truth that he was talking about in Luke 17. That something that seems so small and significant 
actually has amazing, mighty power that you don't even see in this moment. But you will see as it grows and as it expands. It has this expanding growth power. And yet it's gradual. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes we feel like it's not even moving or doing anything. And yet it's growing gradually with power. And he describes it like a mustard seed. Now it's funny to me because you read this and you're like, is it a, is it a cosmic mustard seed? Like is it like Jack and the Beanstalk type mustard seed? Is that, is that what we're talking about? It's like, is it a bunch of mustard seeds? Like, is it, No, it's even singular. It's a grain of a mustard seed. A mustard seed is tiny. It's one millimeter. I mean, it's, it's the smallest of seeds you could imagine at that time. I mean, Jesus could have chose an acorn or a walnut, right? That's not what he did. He chose the smallest of seeds. Smallest of seeds to show that it could grow something tremendously big. And as Jesus tells this parable, what came to these people's mind is what should come to our mind. This image that you'll see on the screen. This small mustard seed, that person's holding it. You might not even be able to see it. You're like, where is it? It's in between their fingers. And yet it grows into this tree. And that's what Jesus is saying in this moment. This is the image that should be in our mind that something small could impact something so big like that. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Now think about other things that Jesus could have used to describe his kingdom. To show his power and his might and his majesty. He could have said the kingdom is like a boulder. A boulder that you would take and throw in the middle of the field. Right? He could have said that. And a boulder does have external impact. Right? Like you put a boulder out there and it cracks and breaks the ground. But that's it. See, a seed has internal impact. The seed changes that field, not just externally, but it goes down internally, and it can change a field into a forest. It can change a field into a garden. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is like that, that it's organic. It seems small, and yet internally it grows and it changes forever. And that's what it does to our heart. As we come to know Jesus and believe in him, it's like that seed that is planted in our heart that grows and expands And so, yes, it may seem small for a moment, but it's always organically growing and impacting. This kingdom is far different from the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world do, no no matter whether it's Alexander the Great or whether it's Rome or whether it's a democratic nation, all they can have is an external impact like that boulder. Those kingdoms have an impact. They do, but it's external. Only God's kingdom goes inward into our soul and our heart and our mind and changes us. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It is gradual. It's gentle. And yet it's relentless in its growth. It's expansive in its growth. And the thing that's fascinating to me is as I read this passage, and maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't, but... It says that this, this whole parable is about the mustard seed. And, and then it says the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. Like, why in the world did Jesus put that in there? Do you ever think that? Like, Jesus has intentionality for why he puts things in the Bible and why he speaks the truth that he speaks. Because this parable would have made sense 
had we not had that last part in there. Did you catch that? Like if it didn't say, and so the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches, the parable still would have made sense. Something small that impacts and grows to something big, right? But Jesus highlights this, that the birds of the air come and make their nest in his branches. Why? What he's highlighting in this moment is the expansive growth ultimately to every single nation. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 17 and in Daniel chapter 4, it talks about the kingdom of God. And both times it highlights in there that the nations will be like birds that will come and make their nest in the kingdom of God or dwell in the branches of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing is he's highlighting the Old Testament, which these people listening would have known. And they're like, wait a second. He's saying it's something small that will ultimately impact all of the nations. And we know that to be true because now we have the Bible and we see how it's all wrapped up. And every tribe and every tongue, every nation will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and either choose to receive it or reject it. But we know without a doubt that there will be somebody from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before the throne of King Jesus worshiping him for all of eternity. Because that's what the kingdom of God does. And how desperately the people at this time needed to hear it and how desperately we need to hear it today. Because people at this time, they're sitting here listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. And they're like, wait a second, Jesus, like look at all these other religions they have way more money than we have. they got massive temples in Rome. They've got a, a larger following than we have right now, Jesus. Like you're telling me that like we're going to have greater impact on the nations than, than these people will? Yes, because that's how the kingdom of God works. It cannot be stopped. It can't be stopped. It will expand every tribe, tongue, and nation. And some of us have been listening to that this morning and you're just like, Man, I, I need something more powerful than a mustard seed to change my life. I need something more explosive to like get me to buy into this Christianity thing. And it's because you're not necessarily, or maybe even I'm not necessarily, thinking of the depths and the riches and the power of the growth of this mustard seed. I mean, we could sit here and say, a mustard seed, I can't do anything for my life. I really can't do anything, period. Like, If we took a mustard seed and we had a head-to-head battle versus concrete, the mustard seed's going to lose every single time. You can throw it at it, you can rub it on it, and it's still going to lose every single time, right? Unless a mustard seed is planted even underneath, internally, below that concrete. And as that seed is planted, you find the power that grows gradually over time, just like the kingdom of God. So as this seed is planted, you see it breaking up concrete. That's what God's kingdom does. It starts as something small, seemingly insignificant. As it grows, it breaks through some of the hardest of things. This is how God works. He chooses the small and insignificant to make some of the greatest impacts for all of eternity. I mean, just, just think about the Bible for a little bit. Maybe you know a lot about the Bible. Maybe you know a little bit about the Bible. But just think about it for just a minute. Jesus takes 12 men, uneducated, some fishermen, some tax collectors. I mean, just not the brightest crayons in the box, right? Not the sharpest tools in the shed. And yet he 
changes the world with these men. Something small and insignificant, he changes the world with them. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he feeds well over 5,000 people. He takes something small that's like, that's not enough. That can't do anything. And Jesus is like, no, that's what I do. I take the small and insignificant, because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and I change the world with it. This is what God does. Even in the Old Testament, as you turn, you, you read about this shepherd boy that never should have been king. And yet he, he becomes king and he humbles an entire nation. And he's just a small shepherd boy that humbles the whole Philistine nation. What in the world are you doing, God? I mean, he, in the Old Testament, there's another story about this huge army that's built. And God's like, that's too big of an army. That's too big of an army. And he whittles it down to 300 people. And these 300 people go to battle and they win a war against thousands. What are you doing, God? This is what God does. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Something small and insignificant that changes the world. This is what God does. Even creation looks like this. Jesus, out of nothingness, spoke everything into existence. Jesus takes the nothing and does the impossible. And the greatest picture that we see is speaking to us in this story. Look at Jesus. He came as a baby in a manger. He, he lived 30 years of life that we know next to nothing about, being a carpenter, seemingly insignificant life. And yet through this one God-man, he brings salvation to all nations. This is the kingdom of God. This is how it works. This is how it works. And that's good news for you and me. Some of you feel like your life is extremely insignificant, and God says, yes, I want to use you. Some of you are like, I don't have enough faith. Jesus says, good. Give me the faith the size of a mustard seed. The same imagery he's using in this parable. Give me the faith the size of a mustard seed, a millimeter, and you can do the impossible. You can do the impossible. What are you talking about Jesus do the impossible? He can bring a dead man to life. God's word says that we were spiritually dead before Christ came into our life, and he revived us. He resurrected us spiritually from the dead. Our small faith in his eternal life and his resurrection and his death gives us eternal life in him forever. Our small faith and belief in him changes our life for all of eternity. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's something small that impacts the nations, impacts all things. So we see through this first parable that the kingdom of heaven has the power of growth, but the second parable shows us that the kingdom of heaven has the power to change. And yes, these are very similar parables, but there's a little difference here that I want to hi highlight. Because yes, yeast or leaven does grow, but I think there's a bigger picture here that it changes and it impacts it. I mean, before you put uh, leaven into bread, it comes out as just a cracker, like crumbly, nasty. It's just, uh, it's, it's just doesn't even taste good. Like you're about to find out here in a little bit as we take the Lord's Supper, right? Like that's what unleavened bread looks like. But then you take and you put leaven in it and it completely restores it and grows it and transforms it. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like this leaven that grows and transforms and changes it. And what I love about it is it changes the whole part. 
It changes all of it. Leaven doesn't come in and change just one piece of it. It actually will change the whole thing. And the image here, again, is something small impacting something that's big. Because if you look in verse 33, you see the leaven comes in. This woman takes it. She hides it in three measures of flour. I had no idea what three measures was. What's three measures of flour or three measures of dough? It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Three measures would would feed about 100 to 150 people. So as God talks about this parable right here, what he's saying is, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like this leaven, this this dust or this piece of the, the old dough that you put in there to grow and expand the whole thing. But it's a lot that it's expanding and a lot that it's changing. Enough to feed 100 to 150 people. This is how God's kingdom works. It changes, it transforms things. And I love how it does it. I love how leaven works. And if we think about this, it just it becomes more and more beautiful as we think about it. You see, leaven doesn't come in and get rid of the dough that's there. It doesn't come in and just consume it. It changes it. It transforms it. Right? Like you put a little bit of leaven in there and it changes the whole batch. Right? The kingdom of God works the same way. It comes in and, and if you believe in Jesus, he doesn't come and take away your personality. He doesn't come and remove who you are. No, he comes in and he works in your personality. He uses your passions for his glory. Yes, he changes you. Yes, he transforms you. But it's in a better, truer sense. He restores even some of your deepest doubts about your identity. This is what Jesus does in this parable. And this is what he's he's showing us. That he changes us. In, In the Gospel of Luke, if you look at chapter 12 and chapter 13, this same parable is shared, but it comes on the hills of the story where this lady is disabled. And Jesus comes in and he heals this, this lady whose body's broken. And then it tells this parable right afterwards. And it makes you ask the question, why? Like, why did Luke choose to use this sermon and this, this story and this parable right after the story of a woman being changed? Because he's highlighting this is how the kingdom of God works. Jesus changes. He restores the brokenness within us. He heals us. This is how the kingdom of God works. He transforms us and he changes us. And in this parable, it's it's so important for us to see this. The only way that the kingdom of God and ultimately this leaven has power is if it's in contact with the world or with our lives. It says the woman took this leaven and she hid it in three measures of flour. Now that word hid doesn't mean she took the, the leaven and she put it in a bucket and I like put it over here and there's the dough and they're separated. No, to hide means she literally took it and she placed it in it that it would leaven it. And what breaks my heart and what I struggle with is that we as Christians, we're removing ourselves from the world. And the parable last week with the the wheat and the weeds, Jesus says, let them grow together. Don't separate. Don't retreat from the world. We need to be a part of it. Jesus says, we need to be in the world and not of the world. And Jesus says, just as God the Father has sent me into the world, so is he sending you into the world. You see, we can't hide away. We have to be hidden within. And as we place our lives and pour our lives in this world, what we'll see is that Jesus is transforming and changing this world, not through our arrogance, but through our love. Not through our weapons, but through our grace and patience. Through the speaking of truth and love. We're placing ourselves in the world. 
And it sorrows my heart because we continue to pull ourselves off of the public stage. We as Christians, we're removing ourselves and then we look at the world and we're like, why is the world so bad? Because we're not in it. They have no light. They have no leaven that's going to grow and transform and change it. We've hidden. We've run away from it. We've retreated from it. God says, no, I want you to be in it, but not of it. And I've talked to several people over the last several weeks that they see friends that are struggling with sin in their life, and they've abandoned them. I just need to get away from them. I just, they need to move on. If somebody's struggling with sin, we need to be a light. Well, they've got a lot of bad influences in their life. Yeah, they do. And if you take you out of it, then they have no good influences in their life. We've got to be next to them. And And if they don't want to listen to the truth, if they don't want to listen to what we have to say, then they remove the light. But we don't need to be hiding our light from them and removing it from them. Let them make that decision. But we need to be faithful to to love the sinner and yet hate the sin. And we can do it. I mean, we do it in our own life. We do it for ourselves. We love the sinner really well. Like, I love myself really well, right? And yet I still struggle with sin. Why can we not do the same thing with those who are struggling? That we would be this leaven that is placed in the world. Let's be in the world, but certainly not of the world. You might think, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, but how in the world do I do that? Well, I'd say it's the same way that fish can live in the depths of the ocean. You've ever thought about this before? I mean, we watch Shark Week and we watch all the stuff on Discovery Channel. My family just enjoys that kind of stuff. And they don't even know some of the animals that are in the deep trenches of our ocean because they, they, they can't handle the pressure that's crushing the machines that they drop into the ocean. Think about that for a minute. They can't get down there because the cameras get broken. They get crushed. There's so much pressure pushing in on it that it devours it. And yet, when they get down there a little ways, they can see there's fish. And they're just swimming around. Like fish, if we caught and we brought out, like they'd be soft and, and smushy. Like they just have scales. How in the world? They don't have metal. They don't have engineering minds that are building them to, to sustain that pressure. How in the world does a fish live at that depth? And the answer is because the same pressure that's outside of them, they find inside of them. Or even a greater pressure inside of them that offsets it. And Jesus has Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. With us as Christians, there is a greater power within us. And we need to stop only being defensive and start being offensive for the kingdom of God. There is times to defend, but my goodness, we have become only defensive. And we're retreating and we're retreating and retreating. And God would say, no, be offensive. Even in this gospel, in the the gospel of Matthew, Later, he'll even say that in in, in Matthew chapter 16, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. Think about that. The gates of hell. The gates aren't an offensive weapon. People aren't taking the gates off and being like, let's charge the kingdom. Let's charge these bad guys now. No, no, those are the gates to keep people out. And God's saying, my kingdom has such power and such growth and such change that it will literally come in and take down the gates of the kingdom of hell. When are we going to start believing the power and the might of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and saying, no, we're going to take these steps of faith to see God move in amazing ways? William Carey said, we're going to expect great things from God and attempt great things from God. 
When are we going to start expecting? God, we know that you can change and transform lives. We know that you're going to do good things. So we're going to take these steps of faith to pray and to serve and to share and to give and to go. Because we know that you're going to impact all of humanity through this. When are we going to start looking at the words of Christ and seeing that the kingdom of heaven is one of great power and great change? When are we going to see that? You see, as, as we think about the kingdom of God, there's so much I've got to say, but I want to be sensitive of our time right now. But let me give you just a couple application points to specifically these things as we start to unfold and think through how does this matter in my life specifically? And the first is this do not, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, do not think that your life is insignificant. Some of us think the only way the kingdom of God is going to come in our nation and in our family and our neighborhoods, if somebody with a great, huge, big personality comes in with a giant platform and can speak in such a way that's winsome to people and brings them in, and that's really what's going to change and impact our world. That's not what Jesus is saying with these parables. Now, that's how the world works. The kingdoms of the world say, man, get a famous guy, get a big platform, get a lot of money, and then you'll impact and change lives. Not in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, I use the seemingly insignificant to change the nations. And so for you, if you're sitting there and you're like, my prayers don't matter, my life is insignificant, my my generosity really doesn't amount to anything, God would say, no, this is the exact things that I use to change people. The smallest of things impact everything. This is how the kingdom of God works. And if we start living our lives thinking, well, we've got to have the biggest of conferences and the biggest of names, and this is how we're going to change the world, then we're starting to compete at the world's games, and we will lose every time. We will lose every time. Because they have a lot more junk than we do. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. He would look and say, you feel like your life is small and insignificant? Great. You'd be a great disciple. You'd be a great follower of the king. And for those of you that aren't believers, that's sitting here today, maybe you came in and you're like, my life's a mess. I mean, it's a hot mess right now. Then look to the parable of the leaven. Because this shows us that God changes and transforms and restores. And I can honestly say that whatever condition your heart is when you came in today, your soul is when you came in today, Jesus can change and transform it. He can. This is how the kingdom of God works. It doesn't matter how bad your past is or even what you're thinking about doing next, Jesus can rescue, restore, redeem, change your life. This is how he works. And what we see with this parable of the leaven, we ultimately see lived out in the life of Christ where he gives us the greatest exchange. He brings the greatest offer of change that you and I could ever imagine. We see in multiple places in scripture that Jesus says, I'm gonna give my life for you. And that's why we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. This is remembering the sacrifice of Christ. But as we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is the greatest exchange. This is the greatest change. This is the greatest picture of leaven. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. 
Jesus, as he lived his sinless and perfect life, and as he gave his life, as we look at giving of his body through this bread, and his blood through this juice, he removed our sin and gave us righteousness. He changed us. He transformed us. This is what the kingdom of God does. He was rich in heaven and gave his riches away, exchanged them and came to earth. He became poor. Why? So that we might be rich in him. This is the greatest exchange. This is what the kingdom of heaven does. This is what Christ does for you and for me that would believe in him. One of the greatest exchanges is he took on death that we might have life. The God of life died in you and my, my place in order that we might live and have life and have life everlasting. So look to that leaven and how God can change. And if you're not a believer, then look to him today and he will change your heart. If you're a believer, look with courage and hope, knowing that there's power and, and might in the growth and in the change of the kingdom of God. As we take the Lord's Supper now, let's remember the great work of Jesus Christ. As we take this bread, let's remember that Christ's body was given for us. It was given for us. As we take this, this juice, let's remember now, this blood was shed for you and for me. What we hold in our hand, this is just a, an image, another picture, another, in a sense, kind of a parable that reminds us of what Christ has done. This is the gospel. But God's word is, is really clear right now that this act that we're about to do as we take this, that this is for believers, those that have trusted in Christ that are following Christ. And so I would say if you're here today and you know that you haven't placed your faith in Christ, then one of two things. I'm gonna give everybody a moment to pray here in just a second. And I would challenge you, encourage you to pray and receive Christ and let him change your life, restore your soul, heal your broken heart, forgive you of your sins. If you pray and ask that, then take this with joy. Or the second thing, if you, you're not willing to wake that step yet, or not ready, you have questions, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. And maybe you just set this to the side for now and spend time asking some questions, diving into God's word and allowing him to grow and change your heart and your life. But this is actually a, a serious act as well for believers. God's word says that we should come to this with a pure heart, not holding on to sin, but clinging to Christ. And so I want to give you time this morning to pray. And if you know that there's sin in your heart and in your mind, just confess that to Christ and know that if we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. And so church, let's take just a moment now. Let's just pray that God would cleanse our hearts and prepare our minds to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's take a moment now and pray to him. Jesus, we come first with just confession God, that we know that we sin and we fail, but God, we know that you are faithful to forgive us. And so forgive us of our sins, sins of worry, sins of pride, sins of greed, of lust.
cleanse us from those sins, change us, grow in our hearts the kingdom of God today. At the same time, we don't just confess, but we express our thankfulness. God, you are so good to us and loving. Your love has no depth, it has no end. It is from everlasting to everlasting. And we remember that as we look to the cross and how you gave your life for us. So we thank you for your love. And Lord, now as we take this bread and as we drink this juice, it helps to do it with thanksgiving and remembrance. We take it now in remembrance of you. We drink this juice remembering your sacrifice and that you gave it all, paid it all, that we could be saved. Thank you, Lord. We take in remembrance of your sacrifice. God, we thank you that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So today and this week, I pray that we would be obedient to the King, that we would sing in a way of worship, that we would give in a way of worship, that we would live in a way of worship to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.